Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book. Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews, author interviews and book reviews. Do you know, someone was telling me this week about how they've got to have their varicose veins removed. And I won't go into the details, but it sounds absolutely disgusting. So, of course, I googled what gives you varicose veins and one of the things was crossing your legs. And since that time, well, I hadn't realised how often I cross my legs and I just do it instinctively. So I'm sitting there crossing my legs, uncrossing my legs, crossing my legs, uncrossing my legs. Oh, my goodness. It's just... I need to stop doing it. And also my other grievance of this week is someone said, oh, are you out on your jog today? I thought, yeah, I know it probably looks like I'm jogging, but I like to think I'm some sort of athlete. I am running, but no jogging. Anyway, there we go. That's my news. What's news with you? What's happened with you? I do hope everything is okay. I've got some great books to tell you about today. I'm so excited. Let me tell you immediately what the books are. We've got The Memory of Animals by Claire Fuller, and Claire's going to come on and talk to us about this book. Then we've got The Book of Eve by Meg Clothier, and Meg's going to come on and talk to us about that book. Then I'm also going to review a book called Go as a River by Shelley Reed. The Close by Jane Casey, and The Halfways by Nilapa Udin. So let's get started straight away. Book one, The Memory of Animals by Claire Fuller. Let me read you the blurb. Nephi is a young woman running away from grief and guilt and the one big mistake that has derailed her career. When she answers the call to volunteer in a control vaccine trial, it offers her a way to pay off her many debts and perhaps to make up for the past. But when the London streets below her window fall silent and all external communications cease, only Nephi and four other volunteers remain in the unit. With food running out and a growing sense that the strangers she is with may be holding back secrets, Nephi has questions that no one can answer. Does safety lie inside or beyond the unit and who or what is out there? While she weighs up her choices, she's introduced to a pioneering and controversial technology which allows her to revisit memories from her life before, a childhood divided between her enigmatic mother and her father in his small hotel in Greece. Intoxicated by the freedom of the past and the chance to reunite with those she loves, she increasingly turns away from her perilous present. But in this new world, where survival rests on the bond between strangers, is she jeopardising any chance of a future? And now let's hear Claire read the first sentence. Day zero, minus two. 
A nurse collects me from the ground floor lobby and takes me in my wheeled suitcase up in the lift. I smell the familiar odours of disinfectant and industrial cleaner mixed with a kind of hopeful hopelessness. What did I think of this book? I absolutely loved it. It, yes, there's sort of pandemic references, but it's not a revision of COVID in any way. It's an exploration of, I know, self-identity, conforming, all sorts of things. I read it at a pace. I was completely captivated by it. It transported me. I just thought it was really good. Yes, Memory of Animals, bravo. But let's go and talk to Claire now. Well, it is my huge pleasure to welcome to the podcast today Claire Fuller, whose latest truly fabulous book is called The Memory of Animals. Claire, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Can we start with the real basics? Can you give us a summary of this book? Yes. So The Memory of Animals is about a young woman called Nephi who volunteers for a vaccine trial while there is a pandemic going on in the rest of the world. And she has a bad reaction to the vaccine and is knocked out for a few days. And when she comes round, the world has turned without her. And everybody, all the other volunteers, the doctors and nurses, have left the unit where she is, apart from four strangers. So she is stuck inside with four people that she's trying to work out what's going on with them. And at the same time, one of them has brought a piece of new technology into the unit with them that Nephi, this character, is able to use to revisit her own memories. So she kind of goes back in time to when she was younger, mostly on the island of Paxos in Greece, when she fell in love with octopuses. So there are lots of octopuses in this novel. There are. And I loved it. I learned so much about them. I had no idea how sort of tactile and caring that they can yeah. be. I just love that. I know so many octopus facts now. <laughs> by, the t- by the time I've written my next novel, they will all be gone. But at the moment, I am an octopus expert for the next month or two. <laughs> so if you were going on Mastermind now, your chosen specialist subject would be octopus. I think it would have to be, <laughs> yes. And surely I would win, surely. <laughs> <laughs> now, it seems a bit strange to ask you how you got the idea for this book, but still, I'll ask you, yeah. how did you get the idea? Well, I started it back in October 2019, so before our pandemic started. Oh, wow. So I thought, oh, yes, that'll be a good idea to write a pandemic novel. <laughs> um, so you can blame me for all the pandemic that happened to us. No, it was really, it was a friend of my son's who signed up for a thing called flu camp, where you were given a flu vaccine and the flu virus. You had to stay in a room in a unit in London for two weeks to see what your reaction was like. So it's it's a way of testing vaccines on humans. You get paid a few thousand pounds to do it. And so stu- lots of students do it. And I just thought, whoa, that sounds just such a great setup for a novel. You know, if it all goes wrong, what happens? And if there's an actual pandemic on the outside and then you're stuck inside. Uh, so I started writing it and then four months later or whatever, our own pandemic hit. And uh, I just thought, oh, my goodness, do I carry on with this or do I stop? And I stopped for a little while. But but then I'd written quite a large amount of it. So I I carried on. That's where it came from, really. 
it must have been quite a challenge then when the pandemic happened. Did it did it skew the writing? Did you adapt it? It did. Yes, I did change it. It was a kind of milder version uh, originally the, the, in, the, in the novel. I mean, not that ours, the real one, was mild. You know, I do appreciate that, you know, lots of people suffered. But it is an even worse pandemic in the novel. And, and I, I shifted it to make it worse. To, I didn't want to be writing about our own pandemic. Mm. That's not what this novel is about. And in a way... In a way, this novel isn't even a pandemic novel, I would say, because it's not about being out in the pandemic. It's it's almost like a, a locked room mystery, almost, with a pandemic and some octopuses <laughs> thrown in. Um, but, but our own pandemic changed it in that I suddenly realised that now everybody were everybody was expert on pandemics and the terminology and what happened and how it worked so in a way I had to make it worse in order to kind of shift it out of our reality because otherwise people would be saying oh but that didn't happen or it couldn't have happened like that so I had to kind of make it very different and it did feel different to me it didn't there was no part of me that thought, oh, gosh, this is sounding very covid It was completely different and fictional and just drew me in. And I was so concerned to find out what was going on. I couldn't put it down at all. Was it I mean, it's a hard book to read, but it's an easy book to read, if you know what I mean, because some of the subjects are deep ones. And yet, as I say, it grips you. So it's easy to, to read through it. When you were writing it, was it easy to write or hard? Not any book's easy, but... Yeah. No, I know, I know what you mean, I know what you mean. I find it's hard to explain that. I find all writing difficult. I find all first drafts really, really difficult, no matter what I'm writing. I don't like writing. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy. I don't, I don't like writing first drafts. I have to really make myself write. Um, so in that way, it's difficult no matter what I'm writing. I love editing. So once I have some words down, then I really, really enjoy myself in, in making it all better, improving it. But it was difficult to write in terms of all those pandemic issues. And also, I'm sure lots of people who were writing when the pandemic hit, you know, I just thought, what what's the point in writing? I should be going out and helping people and saving lives <laughs> the only thing I know how to do is write so in the end I just kind of got back to it but I think writing during the pandemic was was quite difficult to start with but then people then people need writing people need books people need other people's stories so I, I carried on we absolutely do let's talk about Nephi quite a character did she stay with you after you'd finished writing? They don't tend to stay with me, the characters, because they go through so many revisions. The editing for me takes maybe a year and a half. So I'm refining and refining and refining and the whole thing might take three years. And so by I've by the time I've come to the end, I've had enough of them. <laughs> they can just go. Please go. I don't want any more to do with you. <laughs> and plus, the idea for the next novel is kind of already speaking in my ear, saying, you know, write me, write me. 
and I just kind of want to move on to the next thing. So they don't, they definitely don't hang around. Nephi didn't hang around any more than any of the others have ever hung around. No, I can imagine that. It must be really hard to focus on yet another set of edits when you've got this gem that's calling you to write. Yeah, it always feels like, oh, the next one is going to be better. It's going to be so much better. You know, the grass is always greener. And it's going to be so much easier, the next one, because I've got this great idea. And then it's never that easy. It's never that easy. And for me, the the themes of the book seem to be about captivity and freedom as well in, in different elements. Was that something that you set out wanting to explore or just came as as you were writing it? No, I never really think of themes before I start writing. I have a mostly kind of a character in a place, a situation, and I just start writing without any plan and definitely no themes. But maybe three quarters of the way through, I start realising what the novel is about in a kind of deeper way. And it's very much about captivity and freedom and whether it's safe, whether it's better to live a a captive life where it's safer, where there aren't any risks or whether to kind of break through the glass wall and go out and risk everything and, and, and be free, but have all the threats around you. So it's that in relation to humans and that also in relation to animals. Um, but that theme came later. And how much do you try and push your characters in books? Do you really add even more to to the woes that they have to deal with or the challenges that they have to deal with or is that as it is as you start writing it no I try to make things really bad for them (laughs) (laughs) worse and worse and worse and worse and I think that I hope kind of uh, builds the tension for the reader makes them wonder where it's going how bad can it get and it and yeah, my, I, I guess all my novels are, are fairly dark. They, things can get pretty bad before they get better. Um, but I like to end with a little bit of hope. You know, they're not completely bleak right at the end, but it is up to the reader to, to find that hopefulness, I think. And when you start thinking about your next book, is it that you get the elements together straight away, the place, the person, the the issue or the event, or does one come first and then the others a little later? It's often a place and a character. And I just write them walking through that place or moving through it or whatever they are doing in that place. It might not be their home, but often it is. And just really see what happens. And it, after a little while, it, it feels very kind of filmic so I'm watching it in my head and I'm writing it down and it can go in any direction because it's as if after a while I'm not particularly controlling it once the characters are developed there are certain things they will do or they won't do just like real human beings that's how it feels to me so so I in a plot way want to get them to a certain position but actually they won't do it because they're the kind of characters that maybe wouldn't do that or would take a longer time to do it or would do it via a more circuitous route or something. So so in a way they do take on a life of their own um, and I just have to follow along behind. <laughs> I'm interested in the title as well, The Memory of Animals. How Was that always its title? Or? No, it was called 
at the very beginning, in the when I was writing the first draft, it was called This Is Only a Test, which is kind of a reference to the fact that she's on a vaccine trial, obviously, but also to the um, to the early warning tsunami or earthquake system in San Francisco, where she visits, Nephi visits, and she hears this alarm go over the over the city and and it's a siren it's a test and then at the end there's this kind of b-movie voice american voice says my american accent is really poor so i'm very sorry but this is only a test this is only a test and it's so scary to hear it it's <laughs> and it just booms over the city through loudspeakers I'm not sure if it's if it's still going, but when I went to San Francisco, this was happening. I think every Tuesday afternoon or something like that. Um, and so the type that working title came from that. And then when I submitted it to my editor at Penguin, she said, "I'm not sure that title is going to work because when people type it into Google to look it up, they're going to come up with all sorts of." exam textbooks and study guides and she she just thought it wouldn't be memorable enough so I had to kind of go back to the drawing board and then I came up with a title um uh, a body of water because obviously there's lots of sea and ocean in this novel because of the octopuses and also oct octopuses in zoos are in a body of water and in fact octopuses are a body of water because they have they are mostly water and then also the the virus in the novel is a, a you get it from swelling basically so it's a it's a a virus that causes water retention that's so terrible you die from it so in that way it it was also a body of water so i thought oh that works on all sorts of levels but my editor again at Penguin was not sure she thought the body of water in terms of the virus was was not a very pleasant thought. And then my then it was bought by my American publishers and they said, actually, we've just had a novel published called A Girl is a Body of Water. So we it really won't work for us because it's just too, too close and too recent. And and it's important for me that. The title is the same across all English-speaking territories. Because of social media, it becomes very difficult if you have a novel called, with a different title in the UK and the US and Canada. Readers can't kind of cross-fertilise. Um, so then I had to come up with something else and things were getting quite tight in terms of the deadline. And my so the two editors and me got together on Zoom two or three times and we we were just kind of chucking ideas at each other and writing them down and lists and lists and lists and and then there's a lot of stuff about memory in the book there's obviously a lot of things about animals um and the memory of animals perhaps is i like its ambiguity because it's is it animals own memory or is it humans remembering animals you know it's not it's not particularly clear and I, I like ambiguity so so that's my long answer for where the title came from. Oh that's great so we're approaching publication day which is the 20th of April 
I believe. That's right. Which will be just a few days after this goes out. So you've published a few books now. I'm interested on publication day from sort of one minute past midnight to one minute to midnight that actually at the end of the day what happens for you on publication day i get i get very nervous in the lead up to publication because the book is finished there's no more that you can do and reviews are beginning to come in you want reviews to come in but they're also really scary because they might not necessarily all be positive luckily some have come in and already are but you know not everybody loves every book but actually on publication day do you know I have just booked in the morning I've booked a facial (laughs) (laughs) I've never had a facial in my life before but I thought I'll go and have something calming that will make me feel like I'm gonna I don't know (laughs) You see, if I did that, I would end up having an allergic reaction to it and spend the whole of publication day with bright red weeping skin. There's always a possibility. (laughs) Because I have the actual launch in Winchester where I live in the evening. So if it all goes horribly wrong, I will will be wearing a mask or something. Um, But then once, once it's out there, then I... I I tend to just enjoy it and I will enjoy the evening. The launch is in conjunction with the Winchester Books Festival who have a festival in Winchester the weekend after. So the 21st, 22nd, 23rd and and they are kindly working with me to have this lovely glorious launch. My son will be playing his guitar. I've commissioned an, an octopus cake and then uh the Winchester Books Festival have a wine producer Grange wine who are who are supplying lots of bubbles so it should be oh, fun yeah blotchy yeah. face or not it should be fun <laughs> i'm sure you'll be fine it's just a sort of thing would only happen to me but i'm sure you'll be fine well we come to the final question claire which is one uh, we ask every author interviewed and that is your biscuit of choice what biscuit has powered the writing of the memory of animals well i'm gonna turn everything throw throw that out I'm afraid because I'm not really a biscuit person I'm a salty snack person okay yes we occasionally allow those we'll allow <laughs> to, to what salty snack I think it would have to be this might sound really weird this is my afternoon snack of choice is little cubes of cheese maybe gruyere cheese and little slices of gherkin oh and you put just eat them together, no biscuits, no nothing else with it, just those two, and you get kind of the oh, it's delicious. They're like little cocktail nibbles, <laughs> Gruyere and gherkins, the the two G's. Well, each to their own, and it's uh, if it if it means these books are written, Claire, then I'm all for it because uh, it's wonderful. But <laughs> you should try it. I recommend. <laughs> I will, and uh, yes, we'll we'll see what happens with that one. It could be a taste revelation. You you never know. It is, it is, I promise you. Not could be. (laughs) Sorry, yes, of course it is, it is. Well, it's been just such a pleasure to talk to you and be looking forward to seeing photos of the opening evening, the publication night and the octopus cake and the bubbles and everything. Wish you every success. Claire Fuller, whose latest fabulous book is The Memory of Animals. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Coming up, one more author interview and more book reviews. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Next, we have The Book of Eve by Meg Clothier. Let me read you the blurb of this one. Beatrice is the convent's librarian. For years, she has shunned the company of her sisters, finding solace only with her manuscripts. Then, one carnival night, two women, bleeding and stricken, are abandoned outside the convent's walls. Moments from death, one of them presses something into Beatrice's hands, a bewitching book whose pages have a dangerous life of their own. But men of the faith want the book destroyed and a zealous preacher has tracked it to her door. Her sister's lives or her obsession? Beatrice must decide. The book's voice is growing stronger. An ancient power uncoils. Will she dare to listen? <sighs> so good. Anyway, before I say what I think, let's hear Meg read the first sentence. Oh, but it's quite something up here. The sky above, the crumbling stones of the pass, the sun setting to our right, trees darkening, snow blanks aflame, the lights of that city burning, beckoning, burning. But why have we stopped? Oh, I don't know about you. I just love to hear the authors read from their book. It does make it different, better. I don't know. I just really enjoy hearing them 
read it. I love this book. It transported me. I was captivated by it. It was so different. It was, it just drew me in. And I, yeah, thoroughly recommend it to you. It was some great books this week, honestly, and more to come in a, in a moment. But enough of that. Let's go and talk to Meg about this glorious book. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Meg Clothier, whose wonderful, wonderful novel is called The Book of Eve. Meg, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks very much for having me. Oh, it's very good to have you on this. Now, let's start with the basics. Can you give us a summary of this gorgeous book? Absolutely. So it's set in a place very like Florence, a time very like 1500, and a mysterious and magical book falls into the hands of a convent librarian. And when she gets hold of it, she is obsessed, fascinated by the book's potential power, by its pictures and by its words. And we sense that something very dark and very exciting might be going to occur, especially when we realise that the state and church powers of the city are every bit as interested in the book as she is. Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, just such a book. How did you get the idea for it? It all came, it was a bit like a writing prompt, really. It all came from this <laughs> thing called the Voynich Manuscript, which is one of, of the book world's great unsolved mysteries. We know that the Voynich Manuscript dates to sort of the Italian Renaissance, and it's got um, an undeciphered script and amazing pictures very mobile pictures of plants and trees. And I was looking at this and I was wondering if I could turn this manuscript into the heart of a story. And that's really where the idea came from, the idea of metamorphosis, the idea that in moments of extreme danger, whether it's physical or emotional, in moments of extreme danger, women can turn into plants and trees to, to escape, which is obviously inspired by Ovid's Metamorphoses, which is one of my sort of massive books that I've had a real passion for all my life. I mean, I'd heard about this book. People were talking about it. Then I got sent a proof very kindly. And then it was selected as the Goldsboro selection of the month and sent to me with the the most beautiful sprayed edges. Has it been exciting for you to see it all build up? Oh, it's been absolutely amazing. I mean, I've had the most extraordinary support from, from the publishers, which, I mean, it's it's such a joy when you feel that you've got that kind of embrace and that push behind you when you've given your all mm. to a book the way I did. You know, I was writing it all the way through lockdown in sort of dawn and late at night while doing homeschooling and then just seeing it come into the world with so much sort of love and support from from, from booksellers and the people I've been working with I have to say it, it's been a real unparalleled joy. Oh it's wonderful well I found I was reading it feverishly I just wanted to get on with the story and find out more and keep going and just carried away by it. Were you writing it feverishly or did you not need the aspirin? <laughs> I, think, I think feverish is exactly right. Well, it was, I started writing it in the, um, about a month before COVID hit. And so it was such a kind of dreamlike time. 
slash nightmare-like time when you felt that the, the, the all the normal world had changed. So to be writing a book which was all about how the world as we know it could change, I had such impetus. I, I hand wrote the first draft so I could snatch any moment that I had. And so I've just got these, these scribbled notebooks where I was, I was writing, I mean, I was writing pages and pages per day. And you can even see, you know, bits where I've broken off. It's great. You can see in a book about books, it's great. You can see all the kind of the, the smudge marks, my dog's paw prints, the jam, the coffee stains. It was, it was a very, it was, it was a very, it was a very vigorous and exciting process writing. It, it really was. I presume you're never going to destroy that first handwritten copy. <laughs> no, it's actually, I've just, I've just taken it out actually because I'm starting work on another book and I was, you know, back in that first draft stage and it's quite nice going back to this original handwritten copy and seeing pages and pages of which not a word made it into the final draft and to understand that that is part of the process, that, that layering, those sediments that have to build up. <laughs> now let's talk about Beatrice. What a wonderful character. Can you tell us a little bit more about her? Yeah, I liked, I, I'd, I'd written main characters before who were probably further on the line likeable spectrum and Beatrice is she is at the beginning of the book she is she is lonely she is grieving she is isolated she really the only connection she's got is with the books in the library and she did have a mentor a very impressive woman called Sophia who taught her everything about books and taught her ancient Greek but Sophia has since died so she's very alone in this convent surrounded by women that she spent most of her life with she was sent to the convent when she was seven um but she doesn't really have a connection with any of them. And so the book, I mean, as well as being about much bigger sort of, you know, social, or political or religious themes, it's really about her learning to connect with the world around her. But at the same time, I did like her grumpy eye on things around her and her love of books over people at times. She was a, she was a fun character to write. <laughs> did she stay with you after you'd finished writing it? Oh, yeah, I mean, I think I think she's almost inevitably going to stay with me because I think some of her uh, worst qualities are probably fairly aligned with some of my <laughs> worst qualities. So in some ways, we, we're, we've been walking in step, me and Beatrice. Clearly, the characters are important in your books do they come first or is it the location or the event it's interesting I think what I've realized now I've become a bit more experienced as, as a writer is that character is probably one of the things I feel more confident with when I sent the first draft to my publishers um, and it was a very very ropey first draft and they had lots of I think what you call constructive criticism like please can you try and write more easy to understand books because uh, I, I was I was writing very contorted language at the beginning, but they said that the characters just came jumping out at them, and that even it's quite a big, it's quite an ensemble piece. There's a big cast of characters of all these different women in the common, and they said even at that early stage, they could really feel the the the, the differences between them, and I think that that's something that. I think that's something that I find I find relatively satisfying and relatively easy to do. It's not something I mean I have to work much harder at the plotting say, but in terms of making people come alive that's something that's something I really enjoy. And how do you write it? Where do you write it? You say the first draft was this handwritten edition in the middle of all that was going on in the family and the world, but where is your normal writing place? I now have a I now have a little study and I'm it's just um it's just in that magical moment it's normally either much too hot or not much too cold but at the moment in springtime it is just right and so I now I now do have the writer's dream it's an absolute tip of books I have a shelf with you know special lucky charms on it and a picture of my dog 
And that's now become I've got a fairly decent, a decent rhythm. And, you know, when I'm when I'm well into a book, I start to become one of the, you know, irritating 5 a.m., 5 a.m. writers, which I never, ever thought would be me. But those sort of two or three hours before the rest of the world, the rest of the household's awake is actually when I realise books do get can get finished. And is a film being made of this? I hope it is because I could see it. I think... I, 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 very, very preliminary conversations is probably all I can possibly be allowed to say at the moment. Mm. Um, and I know that, you know, it's, it's always a dream. And, you know, I know how hard it is for films to get made, but let's dream. Why not dream? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I think it I think it will happen. But what, what do I know now? Publication day was in March. So you've gone through that that day. And I'm interested from one minute past midnight to one minute to midnight. What did you do on publication day? What happened? Oh my God, that's such a good question. It's all, it's funny because it's all, you always think it's going to be a big moment. And I think because, because I published a couple of novels sort of 10 years ago, I know that to balance the, the excitement with the reality is really, really important. So actually what I did, I had the most normal, normal, banal day. And I, in the evening, I went to see my daughter in her school show of Greece. And it was really nice. Sort of I had, you know, parents parents friends there come running up to me with their copies that they'd had delivered can you sign it can you sign it can you sign it so I had a really it, it was lovely actually it was it was it was sort of un, undramatic but very heartwarming so with your experience of writing books and as you say it's this isn't your first dip in the ocean you've written before what do you wish you'd known when you wrote your first book that's such a good question I think the the Book of Eve, it's very much, I wouldn't have been capable of writing that 10 years ago. And if I'd set out to write the Book of Eve, which is, you know, it's relatively ambitious because it's got it, it's got a lot of, you know, interlocking ideas, an awful lot of characters, and it's written in a sort of quite particular voice. And I think if I'd set myself that, that challenge when I wrote my first book, I don't know whether I'd have achieved it. So... When I when I wrote my first book, I was, you know, I, I was aiming at something that I could manage. So part of me is thinking, should I have said to myself, be more ambitious? And then part of me is thinking that in some ways you, you've got to build your craft like a, a step at a time and that that's that's OK. And I think that sometimes it can be you feel that you need to arrive as a debut novelist, you know, fully formed and perfect. And I think the dream is if you do get a chance to, to grow and, and develop and to have a sort of a career with a bit of longevity to it, that maybe, you know, it's going to be you know, hopefully I'll write more books and then the book that I can write in 10 years time will be a different a different novel again. I think it's that that sense of progression to, to hang on to that. I think something that I'm I wish I'd known and I would also yeah definitely share with other people. So what's next? Because clearly you're an author to follow. What what can we expect from you next? No pressure. No, I, I'm just starting on a book, which I think, I mean, at the moment, I've, I've, I think I've got about, I've got about 15 handwritten pages. It was what I was doing um, just before we went on the line. And I think, I think I can say that it's going to be set in a, uh, a place uh, very like Glastonbury Tor at a time, very like 500 AD. Mm. So I, it's going to be my own very particular take on some of the Arthur story but a much more 
historical and fantastical and possibly ghostly version than we might be used to. I'm very, very excited about it, but also slightly, slightly tremulous because, you know, it's, it's three years since I started a novel. I've been writing nonfiction in between. So, so going right back to the beginning and having faith that your kind of rough ideas can grow into something, trying to cling on to that faith is, is the real challenge at the moment. Oh, well, we look forward to that. Now we come to the final question, which is a very important one. And that is, Meg, what is your biscuit of choice? What biscuit was powering the writing of The Book of Eve? Oh, my God, that's such a funny question. Um, I'm absolutely, what are they called? They're those amazing Spanish biscuits. They're huge and they're, they're made with olive oil and fennel seeds and they Ooh. come individually wrapped. They're really, really, really luxurious. And that is the kind of thing when... When you have an absolute slump, one of those with um with 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 fennel tea um is is my absolute uh, that that's my that's my luxury biscuit of choice. I mean, normally it's a dark chocolate hobnob, but you know, <laughs> I'm I'm finding that hobnobs are a theme with writers as well. But your luxurious biscuit option sounds very intriguing. I have to <laughs> look up that one. But it's just been such a pleasure to talk to you and this really distinctive, different, fabulous book and can't wait to hear more about people reading it meg clothier whose latest book is the book of eve thank you so much for joining me today thanks very much it's been a real treat thank you now we come on to the next book go as a river by shelley reed and this is quite a book let me get the blurb to read it to you Nestled in the foothills of the Elk Mountains and surrounded by sprawling forests, wandering bears and porcupine, the Gunnison River rushes by the tiny town of Iola. For 17-year-old Victoria Nash, the day promises to be as ordinary as the porridge and fried eggs she serves her family for breakfast. But the mysterious drifter who crosses Victoria's path that afternoon will set in motion an unstoppable chain of events. Soon, she will be forced to run for the forest, leaving her life and her most precious possession behind. Let's do the first sentence prologue. I imagine what lingers on the black bottom of a lake. Debris, rivered in or tossed from boats, grows shaggy and soft. Pouty fish swim their strange lives far from the hook in inseparable breath and motion. Imagine patches of lakeweed dancing like lithe, unobserved women. Stand on the edge of the lake, the low waves gulping at your shoes, and imagine how close you are to a world as silent and alien as the moon, out of reach of light and heat and sound. Now, the way I've read that makes it sound a bit, I don't know, <laughs> drawn out. This book is dynamite. This is going to be a contender for Book of the Year, it's incredible. If you like, I mean, it's often been referred to, uh, you know, comparison to where the crawdads sing. And I understand that. And yet there is so much more to this book. It's a shorter book. It's about 280, 290 pages. But it's entirely the right length that it needs to be. It's got a story that has you, you know, fully immersed. It won't let you go. It messes with your mind. It messes with your heart. It stays with you. It's a book that changes you. And all for the good, it's uh, an unforgettable read. Go as a river, Shelley Reed. Wow, that's a book. And the next one we're going to go on to is The Halfways by Nilapar Udin. This is another glorious one. Listen to this. Nazrin and Sabrina 
are two sisters who, on the face of things, live successful and enviable lives in London and New York. When their father, Shamsur, suddenly dies, they rush to be with their mother at the family home and restaurant in Wales and reluctantly step back into the stifling world of their childhood. When Shamsar's will is read, a devastating secret is revealed that challenges all that people thought and loved about him. It also profoundly changes the lives and identities of the sisters and creates an irreparable family rift. Let's do the first sentence for you. Chapter one. On the last day of August, death could be observed everywhere in Nazrin's back garden. She had stepped out onto the patio shortly after dropping Elias at his tennis lesson to find the colour wiped from her once beautiful refuge. They had only been away for four days, a last-minute trip to Istanbul, insisted upon by Richard, and she'd even flouted the hosepipe ban on the morning of their departure, incurring the frowning disapproval of her neighbour, Mrs Humphreys. I found this book bewitching. It was very moving I love the characters I love the language I learned so much culturally in this book I thought it had the sort of the punches that you expect from a story but also it was very moving as well I just thought it was a beautiful book I really did and on to the final book today The Close by Jane Casey I saw this, I thought I need to read it, but I hadn't got time, so I got it on audiobook, and I'm jolly glad I did. Let me do you the blurb. At first glance, Jellicoe Close seems to be a perfect suburban street. Well-kept houses with pristine lawns, neighbours chatting over garden fences, children playing together. But there are dark secrets behind the neat front doors, hidden dangers that include a ruthless criminal who will stop at nothing. It's up to D.S. Maeve Kerrigan and D.I. Josh Derwent to uncover the truth. Posing as a couple, they move into the close, blurring the lines between professional and personal as never before. And while Maeve and Josh try to gather the evidence they need, they have no idea of the danger they face because someone in Jellicoe Close has murder on their mind. <laughs> OK, let's do the first sentence for you on this. Chapter one. All murder investigations were different, and yet all of them began the same way, at least for me, standing in silence near a body, trying to catch the faintest echo of what had happened. Sometimes the air still vibrated with violence and high emotion, and sometimes the silence was empty. It was a habit that I kept to myself, but one that reminded me of the fundamental truth. This was more than a job. Someone's life had been ended too soon. Finding out who had done it and why was my duty. Basically, I loved this book. I thought it was great. I've read another of Jane Case's books in this series, The Cutting Room, I think it was. And what I've decided is I just want to go and read all of them. So I'm going back to the first one in the series, which is called The Burning. And I'm listening to that at the moment. So hopefully I'll have finished that by next week to tell you my thoughts on that one. But, you know, when you just find a crime series that you love, when I do, I'm jumping in with both feet and I'm very happy with it. So, yeah, excellent. Very good indeed. Those are your books. I hope something has sparked your interest. And, yeah, there's some really good books this week. So I really enjoyed. So just to recap, we had... The Memory of Animals by Claire Fuller, The Book of Eve by Meg Clothier, Go as a River by Shelley Reed, The Halfways by Nilapar Udin 
and The Close by Jane Casey. Some great books, honestly. Oh, my goodness. And I am reading a book at the moment that has it is consuming me and I I can't wait to finish it. I can't wait to talk to you about it. I'm not going to say what it is, who it's by, but my goodness, it's got a punch. Mind you, I'm only about a quarter of the way through, so actually maybe it'll all turn to sludge as I read it. But I don't, I've got a good feeling about this book. I really have. Anyway, that's, it's fascinating for you. I know when I'm not telling you what the book is, but basically listen next week because I've got, I think I've got something really quite incredible to tell you about. But you've had some incredible books this week. I hope you're feeling incredible, doing incredible. It will be incredible if I can stop crossing my legs. I don't, I just, I didn't know how much I'd do it. Am I going to have varicose veins immediately? I don't know. That's the trouble when you start Googling something. Anyway, just look after yourselves. I'll see you next week, whether the books are brilliant or not, hopefully brilliant. And I'll talk to you very soon. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Quick Book Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one, ever. See you again soon. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.